and welcome to the Back to the Pavilion podcast. If you're returning, thanks for coming back. I really appreciate it. If it's your first time listening, don't worry. You can catch up on all the previous episodes on Spotify, Google Podcasts and lots of other places too. Today we talk to a player who represented Derbyshire, Sussex and England, winning so many trophies for Sussex that he created a dynasty on the south coast that will be remembered long into the future. He's then got on to coach at both county and international level and even wrote a book about his life for good measure too. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Chris Grizzly-Adams back to the pavilion. I knew that I was aware that my playing days were shortening that yeah. the time the time or, or the time for me to retire was was not far away i was 38 years old i'd come to the end of a uh, a very long stint as captain of sussex uh, I'd, I'd stepped down at the end of that season i hadn't I hadn't retired uh, i'd done 11 years as captain and, and for me the, the the most rewarding times in my life and and the dream job, if you like, and, and in dream circumstances. But I'd become aware that, and I was actively looking to try and um, create a world beyond playing for me, for me at Sussex. And and at the time, that the, the powers that be and the people in charge were were just adamant that there wasn't mm. there wasn't anything there. There was no position, and they weren't prepared to create one, if you like. Uh, so I I knew that. That, that I had to be mindful of the fact that I needed to do something <laughs> after playing. Um, you know, unfortunately, unless you play, unless you have a, a long career playing international cricket, the the, the, the the financial aspects of county cricket don't mean that, you know, you can blissfully retire at the age of 40 and play golf the rest of your life. You can't do it. So I, I sort of, I've been flirting with the media um, and doing some, and, you know, I really enjoyed the commentary stuff. Uh, I, I less enjoyed the the sort of studio analysis. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately for me, my profile, you know, didn't sort of have England captain against it. And, and, and they're the jobs that that, that kind of go in terms of the full, full-time commentary roles. So I knew that there was, for me to follow a, a life in media, I probably had to do it. I had to go the, the hard yards mm. and do the hard way. So I had... I had completed uh, my level four coaching badge. Uh, so I'd set that that aspect of my life underway some years before that, going through the badges. And, and I guess I'd always saw myself being um, in, a, in a role where I could help develop uh, teams and individuals, really. So the, 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 the reality of the situation was, was that, uh, yes, indeed, I, I could have easily carried on playing and, I, and part of me was looking forward to carrying on playing for a couple more years at least without the sort of uh i wouldn't say burden because it was never a burden but with without the added pressure of the captaincy um and you know i was looking forward to working with mike yardy he he was going to be the captain at sussex and looking forward to you know freeing myself mm-hmm. as a batsman but i think if i recall right it was about either late october or early november i got a call out of the blue, we, we we were out shopping somewhere, and uh, I got a call from my agent to say that uh, Surrey uh, would like to speak to me uh, about being their um, head of cricket. You know, their their, yeah. their first team coach, etc. That sort of stuff. So 
so within an hour, I was pretty much on a train going up to London, and I uh, met with the the people at Surrey. Uh, it, it all, again, it all happened very quickly. I think 24 hours later, I, I got the call to say, uh, "Will I come back up to London and accept the job?" And, and it, it, it literally all happened that quick, quickly, swiftly. So I didn't have too much time to think about it. And to be honest, uh, it was a job which, at the time, when it when it presented itself to me, I had nothing but uh, you know relish inside me and, and, and trepidation to go and. I knew how big a job it, it was. Mm-hmm. I guess, if I'm brutally honest, realized realized how big uh, a challenging job internally it would would end up being. But uh, I knew it was a big job, but one I was really looking forward to relish. So it kind of happened very quickly for me. So I didn't have too much time to think about the end of my cricket career. <laughs> Do I look back and say, you know, could I have, could I, should I have stayed on and played for a couple of years? Maybe. Uh, I've always lived my life trying to go through it without, without, without having any regrets. You know, now you say the players, no ifs, no buts, no regrets. You know, make your decisions, live by them, learn from them, and then you know, and then try and keep moving forward in a positive way. So, yeah, and surely I had some amazing times at Surrey. Some amazing things happened uh, on and off the field, and yeah, plenty of regrets, but also plenty of positives as well. You know. We, we we won a lot of games, you know. We we did some amazing things on the cricket field. Unfortunately, players did some amazing things off it as well. So there you go. I mean, you've not sort of been a head coach of a county again following your stint at Surrey. Do you think the Surrey job, like you say, it was a big job? Was it too big too soon? And people maybe now look at you and think he doesn't want, he's not going to want to come to us, or is it was that a um, personal choice by you? I, I certainly. I certainly think at the t- yeah, I had every confidence at the, going into that job that I could make it successful, mm. and you know, and, and you know, within two years, it, it looked like it, that that sort of was happening. Um, I guess reality, realistically, was I prepared for uh, other other instances, circumstances? Uh, did I have enough uh, intuition and? The ability to see beyond uh, the obvious game of cricket, mm. the answer is no, you know, and and I think that is therein lies the, the the greater ability of a coach, of a head coach, if you like, uh, and that's where experience definitely, definitely would uh, would have benefited me. And you know, if I could um, relive that time and maybe uh, spend that time, those five years being an assistant coach or, or a batting coach, a support coach, then yeah, I think that, that probably would have been um, would have been the way forward. It, it just didn't present like that. You know, it, when somebody comes knocking on your door and says, you, you've got the skills we want and, and you're the person, the character, the personality we want and, and, you know, our goals are to go here and do this and this is what we want to do and you internally believe that you can do it, then uh, matched with the circumstances of my, you know, I was 38 and, you know, reality, maybe one, two, three more years at a push left in the game. Uh, it was an opportunity which which I decided was the right right one to take. And um, as I said, you know, I learned, I learned an enormous amount of that, out of that situation. And I think we were incredibly unlucky, if I'm brutally honest. Uh, but equally, we made some, we made some mistakes, you know, and, and I made some mistakes and, you know, I've, 
hopefully have learnt from those. In terms of uh, why haven't I gone back into a, a job in county cricket, I think I went for a couple of jobs. I uh, got down to the last three, got interviewed. And those jobs went in both occasions to uh, an internal replacement. Uh, so I think safety first from mm. the county. Uh, ironically, both are no longer in that role. Mm. Um, I, I think, um, as they will have found out, it's a tough job. It really is. Mm. And, you know, winning is 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 a bit of a science, really. And it's, it's a science which I believe I know. Uh, I would, uh, would I like to go back and, and be coaching in county cricket or international cricket? Yeah, there's a part of me that really would. Uh, but equally, there's a, there's a great part of me that's really enjoying what I'm doing here and, uh, and, and the life and the lifestyle that it's given me. It's, mm. It comes with a different element of uh, pressure. Uh, you know, as you know, as you said, you're, you taught as well, <laughs> you know, the, the frustrations <laughs> and the pressure and the intensity, but uh, there, there will always be a part of me that that does miss the the, the cut and thrust and, and the thrill and, and the uh, the energy that you get from coaching professional cricketers and, and cricket teams and you know that uh, the, the goal of winning and that's to me what it's all, all been always was about you know other coaches will will shy away from that say it can't be about winning you know it's because uh, otherwise you end up with too with too much disappointment but for me it was all about the drive and the thrust and the, the desire to, to win. And uh, I don't think that'll ever change in me. I mean, you coached Surrey, then you went on, you coached Sri Lanka and you coached with the Netherlands. Is there a huge difference between coaching at county level to coaching at international level? Is there a huge difference? I mean, there is a difference. Uh, I mean, I, the, the the nine I spent nine weeks with Sri Lanka. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember, but basically, uh, two weeks before their tour of England, uh, Paul Farbrace got mm. the assistant job uh, to Peter Moores. So they were left. So the assistant for them was Atapato. He he stepped up to do the lead job, and and I came in really as uh, as that uh, uh, assistant coach. Yes, but more really a consultant coach. I think was mm. the title to to. Uh, give um, thought on England, thought on English conditions, be somebody who uh, was familiar with uh, people in and around the grounds that we would go and play at. And, uh, and that was kind of where I started with the role. Um, for me, by the end of the tour, uh, and I know deep down, deep down, and uh, Marvin, bless him, uh, having never done a lead role before, mm. I know how difficult he found that being in that position but he was Marvin was obsessed with the ECB level four coaching badge and, and was constantly asking me questions about certain situations so, you know how do they coach you about to do this how do they coach you to do that so I became more more of a personal coach to Marvin I felt through the trip and uh, I, I managed to influence it was an interesting learning experience for me that I managed to influence certain decisions positively from from what I would call a position of from from the back of the room uh, so it's coaching from the back of the room so that you've got the head coach at the front all the players in the middle and then I'll be sat at the back and, and and I would often smile when out of Marvin's mouth came my thoughts or uh, ideas or, or 
sort of interjections and uh, and yeah I, I had a great time one of my one of my great great stories to talk tell about was the the bowling meeting because Marvin didn't know what to do with me because he he was the batting coach as well as the head coach mm. and and he saw me I don't know he just thought you know I'm still going to be the batting coach and and the head coach so Chris just sort of you know go and hit some catches and stuff like that and I sort of sensed this early on so I said to him you know can I can I go and join the bowlers meeting ahead of the T20 International um, at the, I think it was the Oval. And he went, yeah, it was almost like a yeah, relief. Yes, go, go and do, you know, with Jaminda Vast. And, and I knew Jaminda from county days and I'd heard him speak a couple of times and, it, and bless him, he's not a natural speaker. Uh, so I was kind of intrigued to see how he would, you know, involve me in a, in a bowlers meeting. And so we met, I asked for a meet, we met in the afternoon on a, he was trying to, and he, he basically said that he was you know, uh, really nervous about standing up and speaking in front of the bowlers and, and being able to connect with them. So I said, right. I said, um, I said, do you trust me? And he said, he said, yeah. He said, why? I said, I said, I think all you have to do is ask one question. And I said, and he, and he looked at me, he said, what do you mean? He said, you stand up and ask one question and then sit down and let the meeting, the meeting will look after itself. And he said, he said, I, I, I don't understand. What do you mean? He said, right. I said, um, Malinga is your most experienced bowler. He's also the captain of the T20 side. And he's a sort of character that comes into a team meeting and emits uh, an energy that is, I really don't want to be there. <laughs> I've got other things to do. I'm, I'm, I've got my, my role within the side covered. Uh, so can we get through this meeting as, as quick as we can? And then I can go off and meet my friends and stuff like that. Uh, so I said to, to Jaminda, I said, all you need to do is say uh, to Malinga, ask, ask him how he, to tell the group of bowlers how he would bowl to the England's top six, each individual, how he would, what his plans were, how he would bowl, what he was thinking, that sort of stuff. So we get to this meeting and, and uh, Jaminda stands up, sort of blurbs out a nervous interruption and then turns to Malinga who's sort of sat with his feet on a chair uh, his baseball cap turned the wrong way around and sort of leaning back on his chair like, and uh, and in in their uh, native language which most meetings are in their native language which is incredible for me trying to sort of work out what's been said <laughs> but he uh, he asked the question and the body language in Malinga immediately changed he sort of came up off his chair he stood up, the cat turned round and and he sort of turned around to the group and spoke again in, in the native language uh, for about 30 seconds and then stopped, went to sit back down, expecting Chaminda to carry on. And one of the players said something. Now, while I'm, I'm reliably informed, it was, well, yeah, you can do that because you, you've got certain skills and you bowl a certain way. But how, how do I bowl to Alistair Cook or Ian Bell? And... and uh, that then provoked uh, a discussion and this discussion went on with the players for about 45 minutes um Jaminda Vars never said a word <laughs> he, he sat there quietly I sat there quietly Malinga had, he was up he had the whiteboard he, he was going through the batsman he, he held this meeting like a, a true professional uh like uh, you'd expect of a coach of the, the highest order and between them the players pretty much worked out their individual plans and it came off the back of one question <laughs> and that that to me is probably probably one of the best bits of uh, interjectory coaching I, I, I can remember they 
the, the story is Sri Lanka are, beat England in the T20. They bowled brilliantly. Um, we, we get on the bus back to the hotel. We get off the bus. And as I'm getting off the bus, Marvin said to me, can I see you in my room? So uh, we go up to the room and I think, golly, I must be in trouble. What have I done? <laughs> and, uh, and we sit and uh, he opened the beer and we sat there and he said, I heard about the bowlers meeting. And I, I went, oh, okay. I, I said, are you okay with that? He said, he said, I'd like all our meetings to be like that. <laughs> so hence now we sort of, now, now I'm sort of in with him. Um, I'm now being trusted by the team, the, 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 the powers that be, you know, the, I mean, some wonderful players, you know, Andrew Matthews, uh, Mahela, um, Kumar. Yeah, it was just a fabulous nine weeks. And, you know, what, what a way, I mean, Eng England had a good team then, had a good team, had a great coach in Peter Moores. And I sat and watched. And to this day, uh, if you remember that last, so Sri Lanka won the T20, the 50 over, and there was only two tests, and they never won a test series in, in England. But uh, Jimmy batted brilliantly uh, with Moen at Headingley. Mm. And unfortunately, Jimmy got out with two balls to go. And the entire Sri Lankan squad wanted to, you know, they all ran on the field like crazy. And I, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I wanted to, but I couldn't do it because of my Englishness. <laughs> that prevented me from, you know, driving the wedge into my home country, you know. And it, but equally inside of me, I was excited on that day uh, as I was on any other day in my cricketing career. You know, it was just an amazing culmination of, of uh, fantastic nine weeks. I ask you about... Um... I interviewed um, Michael Bates, who used to play for Hampshire and briefly for Somerset, and he talked about in his coaching career, he finds it easier to enjoy success as a coach than he did as a player. Do you, would you agree with that, or was that very different for you? Oh, very different. Very different indeed. My coach, coaching, it's, it's very different to playing. I, I, when you're playing, you live the uh, adrenaline you you get to release it on the field you have your own individual success mixed with the team success the wins as a player i remember the wins as a player being elating and the celebrations you would it would let it all go and have a fantastic time coaching the the the, the, the overriding emotion out of a win for me was always relief Mm. relief and then and then moving on to the next job I'm talking about as a head coach now uh, moving on to the next game what's what planning 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 what we're we doing tomorrow how are we get on you really had that time or you know I, I wasn't you know again go down to experience probably something I needed to learn never was able to really enjoy the wins mm. I was always thinking right what's next what's next what's next when when I moved into the supporting role uh, the consultant role and, and, and say with Sri Lanka and then with Holland um, I was definitely able to relax and enjoy the wins more uh, without you know because at the end of the day that's the head coach's job you know he's, he's going to worry about you know the next next two or three days and what, what's that look like and um, you know, I can, I can relax a little bit more and enjoy the fact that I'm not the principal decision maker. You know, I, I can only give advice, uh, and that's 
I quite enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that role. And, and I think, so I can understand in many ways, Michael saying, because he's a support coach, mm. uh, we're keeping coach and, uh, and then in a, in a, in a very much in a support role that you can, you can, you know, uh, give yourself and afford yourself the time to, to, to enjoy those moments. But I, I don't think it would ever, ever compare to when, when it was, when I was playing. Mm. And, I mean, you mentioned earlier you played under Peter Moores and, and Mark Robinson at Sussex and, and a few different characters up at Derbyshire. How, how did your experience working with those coaches shape you as a coach? Yeah, I think, I think both. Uh, so the, the, the coaches that I worked under, I mean, going back to Derbyshire, we had Blessing, we had Phil Russell at Derby. Mm. Uh, it wasn't really a coach, more like a, a scout, you know, and, but, but wonderful man. And, and, and passed on some wonderful experience, little real nuggets of information, which, which is still with me today. Then obviously coming down to Sussex and teaming up with Peter to start with, who, yeah, he's, yeah, Peter is um, a brilliant coach, just a brilliant coach. He's a brilliant man. And he, he did, you know, more for me. Um, the, than any other coach, but but ironically, I think the the coach that got the best out of me was was Mark Mark Robinson, I think, because we were so different, and and he was so different to to Peter that I suppose when Mark took over, I was kind of looking for for him to sort of carry on where Peter left off, and uh, and in those early days, it was more Mark was looking to me to make to to step up and make more decisions mm. and. Or, or be at the principal decision maker, whereas you know Peter, and myself, both very similar characters, and we would it would have some really heated arguments and discussions about. But then it, we'd walk out, we'd walk out having fully, completely agreed on whatever decision it was, even though one of us might have had to, you know, relent. And, and often, um, you know, if it was, if it, we used to sort of have this thing, if it was. Uh, if, if it was about putting a squad together, then Pete would have the final say. If it was about, you know, put, putting a, the 11th man on the field and leaving the, tw- the 12th off it, it, it often came down to my decision, mm. uh, which was a healthy, healthy way to look at it. But uh, yeah, uh, brilliant coaches. And, and, and I'd like to think that, you know, when I went to Surrey, I pretty much, my blueprint for Surrey was to follow what, both Peter and, and Mark had, uh, had, had laid down in, in, in terms of their foundational base for us at Sussex. You know, it was basically all I was doing was following the, the blueprint. And, um, you know, and I'd say for, for, a, for a very, uh, for, for two, two years, you know, it went spectacularly well, you know, promotion to Division One and a, and a Lord's final, you know, with a very young side. Mm. Um, I mean, it, you, you may have read, read my book, but what, yeah. the, the, the one piece of information which, uh, which, which tends to get lost on people and, and, and certainly uh, was a massive curveball in, in, the, uh, in, me, in the Surrey job was that uh, I'd been at Surrey for about, well, it was, it was about two thirds of a way down the, the first season, 2009 when uh, the ECB announced that uh, they were going to introduce a salary cap and mm. the salary cap would be 1.8 million. So you could spend up to 1.8 million on your playing squad. Well, that playing squad that I inherited for 2009 
had a had a salary budget, you know, had, had a salary budget of two point four million. So literally overnight, we had to make a plan to reduce the salary budget by six hundred thousand pounds. That's a lot. That's mm-hmm. a lot of players. And um, unfortunately, the only the only way to do that was to release players who were, you know, at the end of their contract who were were on big salaries and and you know all wonderful guys, all of them. You know, to this day, I, I you know I, I remember looking at Alex Tudor in the in the eye, thinking, this is heartbreaking because mm-hmm. here is a, just a, the, the most loveliest, wonderfulest guy. He's had a great career. Um, but and it was a decision based more on circumstances than his cricket. You know, still had still had cricket left in him. You know, and and it it was gut wrenching with players like that. Uh, and it was it was sad to to have to make those decisions. But it was it was out of circumstance and not out of uh, anything else. And and to this day, I, I look back and think I really. That was a short straw that I drew, because no matter no matter how how you explain to a player circumstances etc., if you're in the role of the the head coach, and at the end of the year, end of the season, it is your job to sit in front of the players to say, "I'm really sorry, but we're not giving you a new contract." Mm-hmm. Then they will always, always, always see that you made that decision rather than it was made at a board level, which every decision at Surrey is made at a board level. And um, and that you know that so that circumstances don't come into it. It becomes a personal. You were the coach that that didn't give me a new contract and ended my career. That sort of thing. And I had a few of those. I had a few of those. And to this day, um, they're really difficult, difficult uh, to sort of cope with because you know at the end of the day, we we all we all do want to be liked mm. <laughs> um, and respected for for the decisions that are made and and circumstances that create those decisions so uh it's tough one of the toughest things to deal with when you're in that main position how much when you're in that main position is actual technical coaching and how much is mentoring man management communication certainly sorry i i I wasn't involved i didn't involve myself enough in the technical coaching Mm. um and that was that was again inexperience on my part uh, there were, uh, and I, you know, as I look back, I wanted to get more involved, but I had, you had to be, so time management was a really difficult one. You know, I was often the first to arrive and the last mm. to leave. Um, and you, you know, you're f- fighting off is the wrong word, but you're, you are fighting off this sort of intensity that comes at you from 360 degrees, whether it's, whether it's the media, whether it's the, boardroom whether it's the committee room whether it's the corporate room whether you know it just comes at you left right and center and I suppose the the group where you really do want to focus your energy the most is with the players but you know I had some good I had some good coaching staff um around and uh so I, I never felt that the players were were not getting what they wanted but from a personal aspect I I, I felt that uh that I wanted, that I could have given them more of me and, and yeah. more of my understanding of the game. Um, again, it was it was one massive big learning experience. I think the um, certainly towards the end of my time at Surrey, it was complete mess really because uh, 
Graham Smith had been brought in uh, as captain. I, I, I hold no see, you know, it's no see, secret, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't. Um, I wasn't fully behind that decision. I wasn't at all uh, of the mind that it would work, and you know, and it didn't work. But that's not why I didn't think it worked. You know, it wasn't. It was injury at the end of the day. I just, um, it just, it was poor timing for Graham in his life as well. Lots going on in his life, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and it, it just, uh, you know, I was being encouraged to helicopter up, if you like, and be this sort of uh, the role that Alec is now in um, and allow the coaches to, to do all the decision making on the, on the ground with Graham. And it, it just didn't work for me. It just it wasn't it's not the way that I, I, I could operate. It's not the way that uh, I felt that group of players really could operate under. And, and of course, Graham was there one minute and the next minute he'd gone. So. They were then as then trying to, a salvation job to try and recover, and I think too much had too much had gone gone before, and uh, you know obviously with Tom dying the year before, we we were all massively grieving and uh, and struggling through, um, and I know to this day that some players are still struggling through. You know we went through that because it was such a such a huge moment in in all our lives that. Uh, you know, the one inevitably one that that many people involved were, were really going to struggle to to recover from. Do you still think that the club are recovering from that now? Then, uh, no, I think I think I think Surrey are. Um, I think they've they've probably completely recovered. Mm. They, I think the essence of, you know, I'm really pleased that that they still. Uh, go out of their way to remember Tom mm -hmm. uh, in the way in which they should, um, you know. And it, it's a club which is, um, you know, it's had its um, tragedies before, and you know they do that very well there. I must admit, they, they you know, they for all the um, for all the challenges, you know, there are some really good people at Surrey. There are, and uh, and some really good supporters. You know, some really unpleasant supporters as well, but there's some really really lovely supporters. <laughs> who still contact me now, you know, really do, you know, in touch on social media. And, you know, that it's, it, it's nice to know that there are people there that appreciated what, what, uh, what I did, what, what the players of that era did. And, uh, and certainly um, the coaching staff that were around then, you know, we are, we're, when you, when you, when you, you sort of take away all the facade and all the bravado and everything like that, we're just human beings really. And, mm. You know, and, and, you know, everyone, you know, I always put my faith and trust in, in other human beings being good people and, and, and looking, you know, trying to look after each other. And it, and it uh, you know, wasn't always like that. But, you know, there are some really good people there at Surrey. And, you know, I've got a lot of respect for, for Alec and the way that he, you know, he, um, he imparts himself on the game, the way he, which he runs, um, runs the club now you know he's the right man for that role I, I couldn't do that role I was much more needed on the ground you know and uh, you know, getting my hands dirty and working with the players I think that's um, that's certainly where I see myself as a in my coaching skills um, and, and you know I'm more than comfortable with that you know it's, uh, it's the sort of director of cricket that sort of floats around boardrooms and schmoozes people in the corporate <laughs> boxes and what have you and, uh, and sits in an office with, you know it never really was my style, unfortunately. And I mean, you mentioned in your book, you think potentially now sort of support groups are, are probably too big and maybe there's not as much focus there. 
if you were to go back into coaching, would that be something you would consider sort of a much more focused, streamlined support network? Yeah, I, I think I think for me, one in reflection, one I think one one thing you 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 must position yourself as a coach correctly, and it's not simple as saying, "Well, there's there's one position to be at." Hmm. So certainly. And it's all, again, it's all circumstantial on where a team is at any one stage. So, with that, go back to Sri Lanka. Amazing playing squad. Amazing playing squad. Um, so, the last thing they needed was some guy coming in and saying, this is how we're going to do it. This is how it needs to be done. This is what's, you know. So, they they needed... So, that's what I say. I was coaching from the back of the room. I was sort of just planting little seeds here, there and everywhere. So, um, and, and, and hoping that they would flourish in amongst that group. And they did. And, and, and I'm pleased that, that, you know, that I was, I was, my voice was being heard and, and, and listened to and adhered to, um, without it necessarily being that of the, right, we must, this is how we must do it. Um, whereas certainly the Surrey team, once after that first year, once we'd sort of started to rebuild, and it, the only way we could rebuild was by promoting youth and, and, and playing youth, was that they very much needed that more of a front of house leadership mm. style. You know, come, come this way, follow this pathway, um, keep working. I remember Tom Maynard, bless him, um, jumping, jumping on my back at Lords after we were doing the lap of honor and he, and he, he squeezed me, gave me a great big kiss on my cheek. And he said, he said, I now know why you made us work so hard, why you make us so hard. This is what it's all about. You know, that sort of uh, thing. So that, you know, again, but my one, one, again, reflection on the Surrey thing, I was, I was living in Sussex still. So I was mm. jumping on a train at sort of half eight, nine o'clock at night, getting back home late, getting up early, coming back, you know, and I think, I think in terms of support group and support network for that particular team, I, I needed to be there. I needed to probably be aware of what they were doing, where they were, how they were, and be more involved in that. And, you know, London's never really been a, an attractive place for me, I have to say. So I, I, I sort of couldn't wait to get away from it at the end of the, end of the day. But, you know, um, certainly having gone through that, then... Um, and and also, if if you think back to that period, just you know, 2011 on, just we really were only opening opening our eyes and our, our brains and our minds to the reality of um, of, of a, the, the, the stress and the and the, mm. the potential for a way more sportsmen and women to to be struggling with mental. Um, mental problems and uh, anxiety and complications around that you know it was only around, really around that time when it was just starting mm. to come to the fore and and if you think now where we are with mental awareness health awareness days and and um, ever so more and more sportsmen and women coming out saying oh, I was really struggling at this time of my life I was really struggling with that then without doubt without doubt if I if I were to be in an, another coaching role then that that element would form a huge part of my uh, mechanics of a team. You know, um, making sure that the players were 
um, incredibly well looked after. Um, you know, we're all we're all we're all strong, but we're all fragile. Mm. And um, and I think the the most refreshing uh, elements of this day and age is is the encouragement, the encouragement for people to speak up, speak out, and ask for help that is now there. Um, is is so refreshing, and it, it is vital. It is vital uh, that people do ask for help if they feel they need it. Talking about mental health, I mean, you wrote your book. Um, did you find that quite a cathartic experience to do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I, I enjoyed it. it. It was so blessing. Bruce Talbot, who who was the Argus newspaper journalist covering cricket for my entire time at Sussex. Mm -hmm. Oh, the, the very early days, uh, a chap called Andy Naylor was the first interview I did. He, he covers Brighton football and, and has done all the way through. And um, for, you know, for play, play a lot of tennis with him. But, um, but Bruce, uh, I grew to have a fabulous relationship with over those 11 years. And then post that, we stayed in contact. And it seemed every year after I left Sussex, he would pick the phone up, ring and say, can we do the book? And I'd go, no. <laughs> well, I do the book like that. He said, "What you know?" He said, "Why?" And I said, oh, "I don't want to be. I don't feel that I want to. I don't, you know, feel the need to tell my story, sort of thing." Um, and and you know, and and, and I, inevitably the question of you know, well, how, you know, how much you get paid for doing a book? And when he told me, I laughed. I said, "Well, there's no point doing it. You know, it's like there's, there's no money in these things. It's crazy, you know." So, um, but. After um, after the Surrey thing, and and then having worked a bit with Sri Lanka, uh, and come off the back of that, I I found myself with with Holland. I've got I had time mm. because it was all periodic uh, tournament based or training based stuff. So sort of anywhere between four to six weeks of any time, and then you'd have four to six weeks off. You know, so it was I had time to to do something and. And I remember Bruce picking the phone up saying, is now a good time to do the book like that? You know, it's, you know, and I just, and I, I was thinking, and I went, yeah, all right, let's do it. That sort of thing. So, uh, it was great, you know, and he'd come to be, to be fair, he came with, uh, with pages and pages of notes and saying, you know, back in, uh, you know, 2001, this happened. What's your recollection of that? And I said, <laughs> I completely forgot it, but now you mention it and off we go and we chat about this, that and the other. And, uh, we went back through the the Derbyshire days, which uh, which was great, uh, and you know, a great thing has happened in this um, this lockdown is that uh, I've been introduced to uh, the, the old, old an old boys Derbyshire WhatsApp group. Um, I mean, which has got names on that I'd completely erased from, them and are coming out, and all the stories are coming out. It's fantastic. It's been brilliant. You know, it's, that's been cathartic, and. Uh, yeah, the book was uh, a bit of a roller coaster. Now, the one thing I wanted it to be an honest account. Mm. It was never. I, I, there was no way it was ever going to be a, a slasher, you know, no. a KP slasher, you know, and, and you know, I had no interest in, um, in in using the book as a vehicle to have a pop at people who might have pissed me off in my career or whatever. Um, but I wanted it also to be an honest account as well, and from my eyes and, 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 and as with, as I've always said, I said, somebody, somebody involved in any of those circumstances may of course have seen it differently. 
you know, and that's fair. And, and, and if, they, if they came and challenged anything I said in the book because they saw it differently, I have no issue with that whatsoever. All, all I can say is that I, this is how I saw it and this is how it felt to me at the time and, and how, I, how I was seeing the world in, in those circumstances. And, you know, again, I, I, I hopefully, hopefully I was mindful enough of when I got things wrong. I was the first to hold my hand up, so I got that wrong, you know, it's just, uh, which, um, you know, occasionally did so but yeah it was good it was it was interesting and blessing Bruce I thought Bruce did a really good job I think the best uh feedback we had was uh, is that people said it just you know we picked it up couldn't put put it down you know and you could almost read it in in about seven hours front to back and and that's great you know I think uh that's certainly was how we wanted the book to Mm. be was people would would enjoy it and it wouldn't sort of consume their life for weeks, like, you know, um, Tolkien or anything like that. So, uh, but uh, yeah, no, it was good. Please. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I read it when I first got it. I forget when, but then when when we agreed this, I picked it up and I've re- reread it in sort of two and a half days just to yeah. sort of refresh my memory. So, and, and I'd agree, I think it's honest and fair. So I think good. you've achieved that. Um, Highlights off the field for you as a career. I mean, obviously, you know, promotion and and winning at a Lord's final. Are those your off the field highlights, or are there other smaller ones which actually mean more? Or, uh, well, I mean, the the headlines, yeah. Uh, that the, the that season in two thousand eleven, when uh, when within I think three days we had secured unlikely promotion to Division mm-hmm. One. Uh, I mean, talk about fate. I don't, you, people won't remember this, but we needed a maximum point win. Mm. Maximum point win uh, against uh, Derbyshire to pip Northampton to the second place of that and get promoted. And so we are 397 for nine. Uh, Mark Footit bowling exercise. And uh, Tim Lindley, bless him, fighting his corner like any uh, warrior would. And Footit bowls him the best Yorker that you'll ever see, which cleans him up, leg stump, out the ground. And Derbyshire go into a a fit of, uh, you know, elation. All our lads just head in the hands. And then one of the players said, it's a no ball. Look, the umpire. And the umpire had his hand out, no ball. And then everyone's looking around, well... Where's the ball? The ball had absolutely flew off to the boundary for four. So we got our, we got our, <laughs> our final batting point. Uh, in, in, you know, and then obviously went on, uh, bowled Derbyshire out a couple of times and, and won the game and got promotion. And there were scenes in the long room at the Oval which reminded me, reminded me of the, the, the halcyon days at Sussex when the supporters were, would, the players would mix with the supporters and, um, you know, and it, for me, it felt like we were on our way, and it, it just uh, there was just too much of a uh, too much of a, a block in there. Unfortunately for me, mm. you know, I remember one committee man saying to me, um, "I went, I went, and offered to buy him a drink," and uh, he said, "No, why, why would I take a drink off you?" I went, "Oh, well, it just took me back." He said, he "said I never supported you coming here," and I went. Hmm. Why? He said, well, you're not a Surrey man. I said, well, how many years do you have to do to be called a Surrey, become a Surrey man? And he went, he said, you, in your circumstances, never like that. And it was like, wow, you know, this is a guy who sits on a committee 
and uh, has a vote, makes decisions. So it was tough, really tough. But the, you know, look at Sri Lanka, uh, that tour was amazing for me. Uh, it really was. Holland, yeah, to, to, to take Holland, I mean, they brought me in because they had got themselves in a, in a real mess. And, had, you know, they'd had some incredible highs. I mean, that, that, uh, that game um, in the World Cup uh, in Bangladesh when they, they knocked off a ridiculous score in, in, a, in 12 overs or so against Ireland to, to get to the second phase was, was a massive high. But behind the scenes, their, their cricket, their structure, everything was, was plummeting. And uh, they dropped into Division 2 of the Associate League. So I remember coming in thinking, blimey, you know, this, this, team, this team couldn't beat a Sussex second team, you know, they were, they had some, I mean, they had some really, really average players, you know, dotted around some really, really good mm. players, you know, and some fabulous players. But there was, there was a real, it was, it was obvious lack of players like Tender Scarter, mm. Van der Merwe, you know, the, the, the Van der Hooten, uh, the quality wasn't there to support the good players who were already there, you know. The relationship I built with Pete Boren, mm. He's a highlight for me, you know, he's a, just an amazing guy, as far as I'm concerned, amazing captain. Uh, I know that I moulded him in a way in which I was able to get the best out of him as well. So those are, those are more the highs for me. I had, uh, um, had moments, so with so it's, it's, it, it hinges around moments really, so that mm. allow me to tell, to re recount stories of how, how I was able to influence a win. And, the, the test series against England, the Sri Lanka test series is one because we turned up at Lords uh, the day before the, the, the test match and the covers were on the pitch and we weren't allowed to see it. And the, the powers that be asked me what, you know, I said, it will be, it will be green. It will, you know, England are going to go with a, a seam attack and let's face it, Sri Lanka had pop gun seamers at that stage. Mm. What have you? So the morning of the game go down there and of course the, I got on the balcony, saw this pitch, and I thought, blimey, that is green. And, and we get down there, and it must have, I mean, I'm calling these guys the suits. There must have, there was eight suits around Atapato and um, Angelo Matthews, the captain. Um, Jaya Saria being one of them, the manager, and then all these board men who arrived overnight. And uh, they were around them, and I walked over, across to the nursery, and they called me over and said, what do you what I think of the pitch and I said I said yeah it's green I said but it will play it will play all right and they said oh what, what would you do if you win the toss and I went straight away I said bat without a doubt unequivocally bat like that and they looked at me as if I was I was some kind of spy in the camp you know <laughs> I was like, how could he possibly say that you know and, and they didn't give me an, a chance to, to explain they just sort of right off you go this sort of thing off I went to the nets did my stuff came back, trying to win the toss. I will have a bowl, please. That's the thing, you know. 500 runs later, England. And um, anyway, fortunately, they hung on for a draw. Um, partly, only, only because England failed to declare when they mm. should have done. Um, so they had the day at them rather than uh, four sessions. Anyway, we, we go up to Headingley and we walk out to the pitch. And I'm looking at the pitch at Headingley and I'm less certain about batting first. But uh, 
I get uh, called over by Matthews and uh, Atapato, and they said, what would you do here? And I sort of scratched my head. I said, well, I'm less certain than I was at Lords, but mm. I would still bat. And they, they said, why, would, why, why were you so adamant that we should bat first at Lords? I said, well, I said, yeah, it was green, but I've played there enough to know that if it's blue sky, which it was, then it won't swing and that good batsmen can get runs. So equally, if we get bowled out for 200, then you can still bowl England out for 200. There's no rules to say you can't do that. I said, and, and then there's still no reason why you can't score 500 in the second innings. I said, but the one thing that when I look at your side and think, how are you going to win a test match? How are you going to get 22 wickets or, or 20 wickets is you've got three seamers who don't figure in the top 50 in the world. And you've got one spinner who's in, who's, I think he was sixth or seventh in the world in, in Rangana Herod. I said, so for me, if you're going to win, win a test match against England, he has to bowl a lot and he has to get a lot of wickets. So you want him bowling in the last innings on, on when the pitch is deteriorating. That's how I see it. So they looked at me and thought, well, that's, that's, that's fair. Fair way of looking at it. So, so, um, I remember, uh, I think it was Atherton did the toss and um, England win the toss, Alistair Cook, all the pundits have said, oh, it's a bowl first day, it's thinking it, anything like that sort of thing. And uh, so they, they, they stick Sri Lanka in, Matthews comes to his time to speak to Atherton, Atherton says, right, you lost the toss, what would you have done? He went, we would have batted first anyway. And he said, and he said why was that? He said, because it's the best way to win this test match. Like that, you know, and he... And he and it was like, oh, God, here we go. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and the way in which the Test match panned out, it was pretty much as I'd sort of prophesied how Lords could have gone. You know, Sri Lanka got bowled out for 200 um, cheaply. Uh, they then did England for 300. Um, they then go out and get 500 themselves. And England have no chance of winning the Test match. So they have to bat out for, uh, for the draw. And unlike England, Sri Lanka declared... Um, at tea on the fourth day and uh, England were four down overnight, you know, five down and four down overnight. So yes, they hung on and did brilliantly to hang on to the end of the end of the day. But there was a kind of an inevitability that, that uh, England were going to lose that test and their first time they lost test series against Sri Lanka. So that, that as a highlight for me was, was just gold. How are those highlights off the field compared to the ones on it? Ooh. Yeah, I mean, they're great highlights, but you can't, there is nothing, nothing that can compare to moments in my career, uh, being out in the middle when Murray Goodwin hits the winning run, it's the run that gets us the extra point, which wins the county championship for the first time, the, the build up to that game, the celebrations after, you know, that's, yeah, and then we did it again in 2006 and then in 2007 and each year it was very different which was great so it presented a different set of emotions uh, winning the Lords final uh, with Derbyshire then with Sussex um, was amazing and then of course with, with Surrey as a coach you know so they, they're amazing moments walking out walking out at Wanderers to to make a test debut Incredible. Walking out of the Oval to make my one-day international debut. 
in front of 25,000. You know, it's just, they're, they're moments in, in your life which just, you know, they're forever. And, that, you know, they, they're, all, they're all, all great moments. And I, I find it really, really difficult to pin it down to just one. But, you know, it perhaps should be, um, it should be a toss-up between making your England debut and, and winning the county championship for the first time for Sussex. Yeah. So those are the two which, to me, if, if I had to put a, pull two to stand out above any other, it would be those two. I mean, primarily a batsman, but I've got to ask you, did you, re- you took a, a hat trick. Did you really <laughs> not know? No, no. Ridiculous, wasn't it? Um, I, mean, I mean, it was on Sky as well, which, and then normally the, the, the statos on Sky are, are so on it. But we, it was, um, what happened was, it was Middlesex, I, I, I think. And uh, it was back in the day when we were playing with um, those aw- awful white balls. Not, not, mm-hmm. I won't say the brand, it's not fair, but they used to go soft very quickly. And, you know, if you could bowl sort of uh, 75 mile an hour medium in-swings that, that didn't bounce very much, you're quite hard to get off, get away. And, and that's what I sort of found a niche in the market, if you like, bowling this sort of filth. And uh, I'd got, I'd got, um, all I remember is I, uh, well, I, well, I don't remember, but apparently I got a wicket with the last ball of an over. Uh, Michael Bevan is bowling his filthy Chinaman at the other end. And uh, he bowls three balls and, and then the rain comes. So we go off for rain and we're off for, I don't know, 40 minutes or so. And we come back on. Uh, Bev finishes his over and then the first two balls of my over are I get two LBWs I think bang bang LBW including Angus Fraser who's the grumpiest bloke that has ever <laughs> ever walked the planet on the field lovely lovely off it but grumpy on it and to this day we, I think he's still stood there at over he's never moved as the players walked off he was still there uh, proclaiming that it couldn't possibly be LBW and uh, we walked off and I was opening the bang and because of the rain delay uh, the, the break had been shortened, so we sprint. I was sprinting um, up to to get my pads on and come out, smack smack a quick fifty. We win the game, you know, sort of boys' own stuff, and that was it. Interview with Sky after. How are you? Must be very pleased. Yeah, you got five wickets. Yeah, first five three one day. Cr- yeah, that was great. Yeah, no mention of the hat trick whatsoever, and uh, and I hadn't, yeah, hadn't, you know. and then <laughs> I think it was November in in off-season and I, I'd had a few weeks away from the ground and I came in and uh, I think it was David Gilbert who was director of cricket at the time saw me uh, at the ground he said oh he said, I've got something to tell you he said what's that he said, he said yeah you got a hat-trick in that game against Middlesex I'm like, I said no he said yeah he said some supporter <laughs> picked up on it and wrote a letter into the club and, and why did and, and we checked it out and you got you got a hat-trick so and there you go that's how it that's how it happened and and one test wicket is was that a does that live in the memory? <laughs> there are there are two wickets that I took in my first class career, which I swear the person underneath it had a moral dilemma whether to take the catch or not. Uh, the test wicket is certainly one because it was Boucher um, who went for. I mean, we were it was an awful game at. Um, um, Durban, where you know we 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 rock and roll. NASA got a brilliant double hundred or big hundred. I can't remember. Bad forever. Um, uh, I'd got I'd got a breezy twenty odd again, and 
and then uh, missed the full toss off Paul Adams. To, I, to this day, have no idea how I missed it um, to get bowled. And then uh, I had to watch NASA bat forever. And then we Caddick went berserk. We bowled him out for nothing. And then, of course, we enforced a follow-on. And it's the most humid place in, in, on the planet. Um, and then we, we were made to field for almost three days, I think. And uh, two and a half days, anyway. And uh, so I inevitably found myself... <laughs> Trying to trying to lose some overs, you know, with the ball, and and they were starting to push the uh, push the gears down. So Batch was on a hundred and something, and uh, yeah, he, he, he top edged it straight up in there, went straight up, and I'm, Alex Stewart's under it, and you can see him thinking, no, no, there's no way this can't be happening. So sort of so anyway, right, he takes the catch. That's the Test wicket. The other one, I watched uh, Alan Butcher and Hugh Morris. Uh, absolutely destroy a Derbyshire seam attack for for the most part of the day. Uh, unbroken stand of 200 and plenty. Um, and uh, again, find myself on. Uh, and bowling the other end, I think it was Pete Bowler. Eventually, uh, Pete gets um, one of those two to run past one, gets a wicket. And out walks Vivian Richards uh, to the crease. And I'm bowling my little medium filthy stuff. And I think it was about third ball. He, he, he sort of just patted two back like that. And the third ball suddenly ran down the wicket at me, tried to hit me into the middle of Derby City Centre. And it went straight up in the air. And under it is my, my mentor at Derby, my pal, John Morris, the animal. And you can see him thinking, oh, no, no <laughs> way. This can't happen. You know, Viv was everyone's idol in, in those days and uh, and of course he's like and he almost right in the last minute went oh, like that <laughs> took the catch and just in disgust sort of threw the ball down as we've sort of walked off you know nonchalantly walked off uh, so I, I bagged Viv in my 40 odd first class wickets which um, which I'm quite proud of as well as the, the test wicket <laughs> it's not a bad two to have in the locker that though is it Richards and Boucher they're not bad I'm not complaining I'm not complaining do you have memorabilia from you? I know in your book you talk, you grab stumps and things. Do you have those around the house, or are they in a box in the garage, or in the loft? Or? Yeah, most of that stuff now is in the, is in a box in the garage. Uh, they are, um, yeah. I think if I'm really honest, when when I was playing, I really enjoyed having that around mm. me and. Um, you know, in, a, in a, a former house, we had a lovely sort of room that lent itself to having that sort of stuff. And uh, it's become less of, it doesn't worry me anymore, pretty much. Yeah. They're there, they're nice things to have. You know, to be honest, um, I, I constantly ask the girls if they want stuff, you know, if they want it, take it. It's, you know, if, if they feel that the need for them to have it, you know, I've given a couple of bits to, um, the museum down at Hove, uh, you know, and, pro and to be honest, probably, in the, you know, I will give more, give it, give more back. You know, I think um, they're, they're nice things to have. I think they're, um, you know, display it, probably not anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I think the, one of the nicest things I've got is, is, um, is a cap and, uh, and a picture of, <coughs> we, we, we cobbled together as many, um, play, people who represented Sussex as we possibly could mm. uh, back in the millennium, and um, and went down to the um, the Royal Pavilion uh, where we had a big lunch and celebration, and everybody who who was there got 
their numbered cap really special um, and that's something which um, which I've got and I sort of will will uh, will display as and when we get ourselves sorted with this house here um, and also the I've got um, three representative England caps as well mm. which um, which is great thing to have as well but yeah they're, they're nice things to have but not I think more when I was playing I think I was more attached to them or the felt that they were they needed to be displayed whereas I'm not so fussed these days and um, you mentioned your girls I mean Georgia plays uh, Loughborough and I, I go and watch Loughborough quite regularly do you go to watch her? I do and it's excruciating uh, it's it's really really tough watching uh, watching them but equally it's it's amazing really I'm so proud of her proud of all the girls um, they've all they're all turned out incredibly um, as incredible human beings, you know, and uh, George's career has, has been uh, amazing, you know, and she's deserved everything um, that she's succeeded in doing because I, I don't think an individual could have worked harder than her. You know, she's, she's really dedicated herself to the game. They had a great, great time with Loughborough, um, which was, is due, mm. who knows, to be, Playing for, uh, ironically, for the uh, the Oval franchise this this summer, um, which is great. You know, I'm, I'm you know, uh, I think there's 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 um, bigger things to come for her still. Uh, she's 26. I still, she should have played for England. Yeah, she should have played for England. I think there was. There, I'm not saying that the people who did play for England when she could have played for England shouldn't have done, but she was as good. Uh, as two or three of the girls that, that, that went on and played and got that opportunity but didn't quite get the, the call up, the nod, which, which happens to many. But I still believe she's got, she's got a talent um, that exists beyond being able to just score runs and take catches, which will be valuable to a team at, at that level. You know, she's just an incredible human being, a brilliant person to have in a team. Um, she's a, got a great way of being able to adapt so she can walk out and open the batting or walk in at number six. Um, you say she's in, she inherited her old man's ability to catch a ball as well, which is great. Um, and uh, who knows, you know, we'll, we'll watch your space. But I know there's, there's bigger things um, for her in the horizon and, and bigger things about to happen. So, you know, we're absolutely 100% behind her and, and support her. She's, she's got, uh, and she deserves it. She works really hard. Do you find it hard to watch it as a dad rather than as a coach? Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, I'm not the best watcher of a cricket match anyway, you know, and it, it, it uh, when you're coaching, you have to watch, you have to watch every mm. ball. You, you, Cause for me, it was, if a player came to me afterwards and said, what did you think of this? And I hadn't, I wasn't able to say, well, I didn't see it. Cause I was, you know, I couldn't bear to watch, you know, mm. it, it just, that would, it, you know, I just couldn't bear to be in that position, so I had to watch. And you know, often watched on on the move. You know, I would be walking up and down mm. the the stands in at the Oval, just uh, trying to sort of uh, keep my energy flow going. You know, while I was watching. But as a dad, oh, sat there, and and you know, she's an exciting player, Georgia. Mm. She she likes. She's got no, um, you know, there's no uh, no fear about the way she plays, you know, she's got no, no worry about running down the wicket first ball, trying to hit it over the top six, you know. It, 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 yeah, she doesn't die wondering, does she? No, she doesn't die wondering. <laughs> so it's great, you know, so it's real, you know, 
heart in your mouth stuff but when when it goes well it's fantastic you know it's amazing and when i suppose when it when it doesn't go well i'm also e- able to deal with that because mm. i know that feeling you know whereas uh, other family members and, and my wife is like uh, you know they they get that real sense of like devastation and i said but that's the life you know you mm. you know that you for every uh, for every good day there's 10 bad days you know that's, <laughs> that's just the way it is unfortunately and one of my big kind of cricketing i don't know foibles is squad numbers you always wore number one was that a message was it does it have significance to you or was it just i'm first alphabetically and i'm captain i i, I don't i think if i'm honest i don't think i chose it to start with yeah. i think we were given we were given squad numbers one to sort of 17 and uh and i think i think that uh when that i'm talking about the first time they came mm. out when for you know and this this concept of oh i choose my number sort of took a, a few years to come in mm. so i remember um i think it was matt Matt Pryor, I think you know, if you ask him the question, he he his squad number always was thirteen, mm. but that was because he was given thirteen when we were first given the numbers. You know, so it was his first number that he got given, and 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 one certainly for me was the first. I was it was just the number that I was given. You know, I was alphabetically the first player. Uh, I don't think the captaincy thing came into mm. it. I think it was just an alphabetical list. Here's the numbers. Away you go. Uh, so, uh, but certainly became a. Uh, a precious thing for me to have through mm. my career, and uh, do I, do I wish Sussex had retired it? Yeah, I do. Mm. Romantically, I, I wish they had. You know, it didn't quite seem seem right seeing anybody else wear it. And then I remember getting a call off Georgia saying, "Dad, I've got something to ask you." Uh, I went, "Yeah, sure." And she had some really weird numbers, you know, sort of this route sixty six and all that, so fifty five and all. Yeah, and. Uh, and she said she'd just been made captain of Sussex, the Sussex women team. And she went, do you mind if I have number one as my squad number? You know, and I was like, oh, that's just wonderful. You know, so, um, it, you know, it's, it is something that is very precious to me and will always be. And, and, and also the fact that it, it, it lives as a, as a story that uh, with Shane Warne as well, who, who was absolutely adamant that, because when one year, I remember one year we had, when we were in the middle of this great series of battles with, with Hampshire and, and Warney as captain, um, and he was looking to try and psychologically wear us down on anything and everything. And the squad numbers on our shirts, the font that they use had this really sort of thin letter one. Uh, you know, and when it was on its own, it, it just looked wrong. Apparently, I didn't even know. So they they blew the font up for my shirt. Um, and of course, Warney being Warney, picked up on it. <laughs> and I, I didn't even re- you know, realised. And he said, oh, you, you know, you think you're different to everybody else. You think you're better than everybody else. You've got your own type of number. It's bigger than everybody else's. You know, that, that sort of thing. You know, I'm like, God, here we go. Um, but it's wonderful that that even that even that could get under his skin. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to a young player starting out in the game now? What advice I would clarity be be 
try and find clarity in all that you do and all that is required of you. Uh, and you, the, the reason I say that is that having, having been on both sides of the, the, the fence now in terms of playing and coaching, often, often when, when things don't go well, it's, it often comes back to lack of clarity. Mm. So it's too easy to say, well, I didn't know what was expected of me, you know, or uh, I, I wasn't sure, nobody told me, you know, and I, you know, I went through this in terms of my England. I went, I went, to, um, I went to South Africa um, thinking I was a good player and I was ready to do well for England. I came back, not sure, you know, because everything had gone wrong. And mm. I just wasn't, I wasn't prepared and ready enough to play in those conditions against that type of bowling. And that's not anybody's fault. That's that's because I was not clear enough on what was required, mm. and that nobody had made that, had given me that clarity. So, I would say the message to both both a coach, a young coach, aspiring coach, or a young player, is wherever possible, wherever possible. And I agree that there will always be flexibility, but can you achieve clarity? So, with, with Holland, that's pretty much the story. With Holland, that's all I introduced with Holland was. Clarity. We had a we had a, a captain who got the most unbelievable cricket brain, mm. but nobody knew what was coming next because it was all in here. And uh, all I did was try and open that mind up to the rest of the team before the event. So um, simple things: introducing roles and, and clarity role. So if it's a T20 game, simple stuff. Who's bowling the first over? Who's bowling the second? Who's bowling the third, fourth, fifth, sixth? When the power play's over, who's coming on? So that everybody knew right at the end who's, who's got the sort of 17th over the 18th, that sort of thing. So everybody kind of knew what was, what was coming, which to me allows them then to focus on preparing themselves for the moment when they have to deliver their skill to the best they possibly can. And uh, rather than, I mean, I never ever could, the one thing I hated when I was playing was you know, right, we're going to do this left-right left, combo, you know, have one left-hander in, one right-hander. Mm. So we had everybody padded up. And like, nobody knew who was going in next. Yeah, it was sort of like, what the... And it, it just it used to drive me bonkers, you know. So I just... That would be it, I think. You know, I, the, 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 be a load of other stuff, of course. You know, work, work hard. You know, hard work. Hard work works, you know. Mm. It's... Uh, it's littered with examples. I still talk about when, when KP came to Surrey and... I was fascinated watching this guy and, and preparing myself to, to coach this guy. And, and um, you know, he, he, he worked harder than anybody mm. that I'd come across, you know. And, and he scored more runs than anybody else. So, you know, it kind of, yeah, he was talented, but he worked, he worked blooming hard as well. So it's, um, you know, they're all, they're all simple messages, but I think the one overriding one would be wherever possible, achieve clarity. And what about someone coming to the end of their career? What would you say was the secret to a happy exit from playing cricket? <sighs> Do you know what? I picked the, picked the phone up the other day and spoke to Chris Nash. Yeah. Now, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that Nash is coming to the end of his career. <laughs> um, but, let, you know, he, he, he is acutely aware that, um, you know, as I was back in the days, that, you know, that you know that there's, there's only so much left. And, and I sort of said to him, and it, it, again, it used to frustrate me when the old pros used to say, "Oh, play, play for as long as you can, lad. Like, mm. You know, you'll never have it. You'll never have it so good. Play for as you know." Um, 
there's so much more to do once you do finish cricket. There's so much more to do, so much more to achieve. Um, lots of different life challenges that will be, uh, some will be great fun, some will be intensely um, tragic and awful. You know, you know, as you get older, you have to deal with, with death and things like that and stuff, you know, and it's really awful. But it's just part of the, you know, that, that further journey in your life, etc. So the, the one, the one um, advice I would say is just be, again, it goes back to the no regrets thing, is be really clear that it is time. It yeah. is time. You know, play, play for as long as you can with, with you know, with, with still being able to have a fresh mind. And I, the one thing that, you know, I, I, I wanted to leave the game, if I'm honest, I wanted to finish my career with people saying, ooh, just, just a little bit more would have been lovely, mm. you know, just a little bit more, rather than, crikey, when's he going to hang his boots <laughs> or, you know, we're going to have to kick him out the door soon or what, you know. Um, you know, quickly name a stand after him quick so he'll retire. That sort of it. You know, it kind of it's you know cause I, I saw it at Surrey with a very high-profile player who who had just burnt out, gone. Yeah. Um, and and you know, he's an unbelievable player, unbelievable player, one one of the best that ever played county cricket. And the last two years of his career were painful, painful mm. for for him, painful for for. Any, anybody there who, who could see him, you know, crumbling among, you know, away from the shadow of his former self. So, um, it's, it, uh, you know, I just didn't want that to happen to me and I wouldn't want that to happen to anybody. Mm. So, you know, do, do prepare for it. Um, be prepared. You know, I, I think I certainly could have done more preparation. Um, but as I say, sometimes circumstances just interject as they did with me. Mm. You have to live and, and, and work on and, and evolve on the job. So, but yeah, that, that would be play for as long as you feel you can and, and you're enjoying the game. And, uh, you know, it's obviously a physical battle over a mental battle. And uh, if you stay fit and the mind stays strong, then just keep playing, you know, and, and you're enjoying it. But, but, but don't look back and say, oh, you know, I retired too soon. I wish I could have carried, you know, the, that's, that's the key is not, not doing that. And, um, I suppose equally, hopefully, not looking back and saying, oh, I should have retired two years before, but uh, try and get that balance right. And last question for you, where, where's Chris Adams in five years' time? What's the future? Well, interesting. I suppose be interesting time in our life because our, our youngest will, in five years' time, will be, will be finishing school. Mm. Um, and that will... Uh, that will give us certainly more freedom if you like. Um, and I want to do some more traveling. Definitely. Uh, in terms of career wise, who knows, you know, I've, I've learned it's dangerous to look too far ahead. Uh, I love, I love my life at the moment. I love clearly love, uh, the school here, Seaford college, amazing place. Love the game of cricket. I'd love to be more involved in, in professional cricket somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, whether that, you know, uh, runs in line with the job I'm doing it at the school would be br amazing, would be brilliant. Um, and, and whether, you know, in the future, I, I, I return to a, uh, a more full-time role in, in cricket, mm. in professional cricket. I don't know. I really don't know. It's just, I, I'd, I'd like to think so, but at the moment, this time in, uh, this time in my life, 
I have to say I'm really happy and yeah. I'm I'm very content with what I'm doing and and I really am enjoying the the, the, the work that I'm doing at school, the projects that are coming up and um, you know, that's evolving each year. So we'll see where where we, we go with it. You know, I'm a, I've got amazing um, management team here. They they really are headmaster and his, his deputies are brilliant. And uh, we've got some exciting uh, heads of sport at the school. So it's all, you know, a lot. You know, I'm learning new skills as well. I'm teaching rugby, teaching hockey, um, even taught a bit of netball. It's it's so it's all all uh, invigorating stuff for me. But yeah, I mean, I would love. Though there is space in my life to be involved in county cricket or mm -hmm. professional cricket or somewhere, you know, hopefully working, you know, in as that sort of consultant or specialist and advising. Um, somewhere I'd, I'd love that I really would but you know it's um, it's difficult uh, it's 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 not entirely out of my hands but it depend it, it really does depend on uh, people who are in decision making positions <laughs> within the game to say you know we'd like we'd like to get Chris involved somewhere yeah. and we, we believe that he'll make a positive difference to to what we've already got and I think that's that's where I'd like to see you know perhaps some some uh, development in the near future. As a Derbyshire fan, I grew up watching Chris before he moved to Sussex and was always a little bit jealous of the success that he brought to them. But equally, I had great pride in the fact that a former Derbyshire player had so much success both on and off the field. And I hope the pupils that he now has under his tutelage realise how lucky they are. Please get in touch. I love to hear from you. The best way is on Twitter where you can tweet me at Lloydzilla and tell me what you think about the podcast and give me suggestions of players you'd love to get on. Next time on the Back to the Pavilion podcast, we meet a player who represented Surrey, Essex and England and famously was left 98 not out after coming in as a night watchman. I am of course talking about Alex Tudor, who gave me such an exuberant interview I came away smiling and laughing and I hope it does the same for you too. So tune in next time and let me know if he has that effect. That's all from me for now. See you next week. Take care of yourselves and others. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>